Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Answers from the Lab, where we share Mayo Clinic knowledge and advancements on the state of testing and science from laboratory leaders and the people who are making it happen behind the scenes. Hi, I'm Dr. Bobby Pritt, a clinical microbiologist and the chair of the Division of Clinical Microbiology for the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota. Here today with me is Dr. Anya Rodin, a professor of laboratory medicine and pathology and one of the medical directors of the Immunohistochemistry Laboratory at Mayo Clinic, Rochester. Dr. Rodin played a key role in the development and evaluation of immunohistochemistry, in-situ hybridization, and PCR for detection of SARS-CoV-2 in formal and fixed paraffin-embedded tissues. Dr. Rodin, thank you for being here with us today. Thank you so much, Dr. Pritt, for your kind introduction and for actually having me here and providing me with the opportunity to share our excitement with you. Yeah, I'm excited to hear more about it. Well, let's start first with a little bit about you. Can you share a bit about your background and how you got involved in this project? So I'm a anatomic and clinical pathologist with an interest in thoracic pathology. But originally I started out as a resident in general surgery in Germany, but then went on to do research in cancer immunology. And it was actually at that time that I became familiar with certain techniques that we use in immunology, such as immunostains and RT-PCR and ELISAs. And I really wanted to combine my interest in cancer immunology with clinical work. And because of that, I pursued a career in pathology that then started with a residency in anatomic and clinical pathology, followed by surgical pathology fellowship and a pulmonary scholarship at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. In 2010, I had the opportunity to join the staff at the Department of Laboratory Medicine and Pathology at Mayo Clinic in Rochester. And I'm here since then and contribute to the thoracic pathology, surgical pathology and autopsy service. Shortly I, after I joined the staff, I was asked to serve as one of the medical directors of the Immunostains Lab because of my interest and background in immunology. I really love that work. I like working with our very uh, experienced and outstanding development techs on bringing on new antibodies. These are not only antibodies for diagnostics, but they are also antibodies for prognostics, basically seeing whether patients will be able to use targeted therapy or not. So that is really the exciting part or one of the exciting parts about it. Now, while I focus my research on mediastinal neoplasms and mesoceliomas mainly, I do have a special interest in biomarkers, and therefore much of my research actually evolves around biomarkers in these various entities. Well, that's great, and we're so glad to have you here in the department. Uh, definitely, I know that I've uh, worked with you on several pulmonary cases. I guess it made sense when we first started talking about COVID-19 and SARS-CoV-2 that there would be this need to be able to detect the virus SARS-CoV-2 in formal and fixed paraffin-embedded tissues. So can you tell us a little bit about those projects and, and the innovation that went into evaluating these different methods and getting it to where it is today? We could identify patients with COVID-19 infections because we had the nas nasopharyngeal and the oropharyngeal swabs, but we did not have any assays that helped us with identifying the, uh, the SARS-CoV-2 infections on FFPE tissue. And 
We also didn't really know where the virus is located in the various tissues and actually if we could find it in not only lungs but maybe also other tissues. In addition, right now, we usually swap patients where we have a suspicion for COVID-19 infection. However, hopefully once the pandemic is actually over, we might not swap everyone who has like a fever or cough or anything that could point toward an infection. And when the pandemic is over and we do see lung specimens that have some of the morphological findings, that could indicate COVID-19, then we might be able to use that test really usefully for the practice and identify patients that might be infected with COVID-19. So that was the idea behind finding an assay for FFPE. And in the beginning, we had mainly autopsy specimens from patients who were diagnosed with COVID-19 at some time before they died. We clearly saw morphologic changes such as diffuse alveolar damage, acute bronchopneumonia, and in some cases also thromboemboli in some vessels of the lung. But we were not able to find definite viral inclusions such as you can find with CMV infections. So all the morphological findings were basically nonspecific. And then there was some uh, discussion actually in the pathology community that RNA-ish and IHC might be helpful for FFPE tissue. Now, there was a lot of collaboration needed to actually start any of these projects. We had to have collaborations with Molecular because we were thinking that PCR, specifically droplet PCR, might be a very sensitive assay for FFPE tissue. We also collaborated with an RNA-ish company to get better insight in which kind of uh, sequences we might be able to use. We collaborated with the electron microscopy lab at Mayo Clinic because there was some evidence that we might be able to find the virus by EM. And also very crucial, we collaborated with lab directors outside of Mayo Clinic because they also were working on IHC and ISH assays. And so we could share our experiences. So the whole project started with selecting the most suitable IHC clones because there were quite a few clones out in the public, but there was actually no literature at the time that could help us with selecting the clone. Again, it was very crucial to have some collaboration with outside lab directors. We then settled on a clone 1A9 and for the RNA-ish, we used in the end some sequences that were offered by the company, but we did run the sequences on our databases to see that they are actually useful. And then in parallel, we did start the droplet PCR led uh, by Dr. Ben Kipp in the molecular lab. And to my knowledge, they used some commercially available probes for that. So there went a lot of innovation into these projects because that was all new territory. No studies were out there. There were lots of listservs. One of them was the listserv for autopsy. They used various antibodies, various sequences, but no one really knew which was the best to use with the highest sensitivity and specificity. Another 
innovative part of that was actually what can we use as a positive control because you know we can use all the IHC and the ish but without a positive control we never know if our assay is actually working and so again through collaboration with a research lab at Mayo Clinic we were able to get a virus transfected cell line which we then used for our IHC and ish testing as a true positive control we did try electron microscopy and Dr. Britt, you remember you were actually yes. involved in the interpretation of these. Mm -hmm. And that actually turned out to be quite difficult because there were some lookalike cell organelles. And so in the end, we did not come up with a good electron microscopy assay, at least not now. So, you know, this is really valuable, all this work that you put into this. And I like what you said, this is a pandemic. This is a novel organism that we never knew about before 2019. So just bringing up points of where do you find a positive control are really valid because it's not like you could just go to your freezers and pull out positive specimens from the past few years. So just for the folks that are listening and for our audience, I'll just uh, repeat. So the four main things you looked at, you're, you're saying ish, so that's in situ hybridization, and that would be an RNA-ish, looking for the viral RNA, IHC, in um, immunohistochemistry, looking for viral antigen, PCR, polymerase chain reaction, and then electron microscopy. So four different methods. So I'll ask the million dollar question, which of those did you decide to go with, or are you going to use more than one? Well, great question. If it would have been me, I would have used more than one. I also wanted to say for the PCR, I mean, as you know, there are several possibilities, the quantitative PCR, the RT-PCR, the droplet PCR. Yeah. We do use the droplet PCR, which seems to have right now the highest sensitivity. And in the end, we have to go with what has the highest sensitivity as all these assays in our hands had the same specificity, which was 100%. But the sensitivity, the clear winner was the droplet PCR. Yeah. So their sensitivities in our hands was over 90%, while IHC and ISH only had sensitivities between 30 and 40%, which was much lower. Now, this probably has something to do with, at least in part, with how long or how much time went on between the actual infection and the time of death. Because if lo as long as you go on, probably the virus will not be detectable anymore in the tissue if there is a very long time span, while with the very sensitive droplet PCR, you still detect the virus. Well, you know, that's a good point. Uh, you can get viral RNA that's still kind of hanging out in the tissue that's detectable. We definitely see that in patients that tested positive. They may be PCR positive for quite some time, even after they've gotten better. So yeah, I could see that where the PCR would probably end up being the most sensitive. So um, is the plan to go live with this test and uh, what's your timeline? Yes, so the plan is to go live with the test. We validate it right now in the clinical molecular lab because it needs to be a clinical lab. Hopefully we will have a test available for FFPE at, by the end of this year. We are still working on that. And are you gonna go through the emergency use authorization process with the FDA? I believe the digital droplet PCR already has a UA, so this would just be adding on a source. 
So the plan was that we would do that, but I'm not entirely sure we get all the specimens together because the FDA approval requires a large number of mm. positive specimens tested and we are not there yet. Sure, which I guess is a good thing that we don't have a lot of autopsies on our patients with COVID-19. Right. So it's kind of a, yeah, there's pros and cons to this. Well, um, are there any other tests out there that anyone else is offering that you're familiar with? I know there is now some literature about people looking into the immunohistochemistry and in cytohybridization as well as RT-PCR in COVID-19. I am not certain that there is a commercially available test out there. I have not heard of any. Well, that's exciting. So this might be one of the first commercially available tests. If not the first, at least it would be available through Mayo Clinic Laboratories, uh, an international reference lab, so people could order it. It would be very accessible. That is right. And we are very excited about that. Well, this is great, Dr. Ronan. Very exciting. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with us and our listeners? It was overall a wonderful experience because of all the collaborations we had and also the collaborations with outside of Mayo that we were able to establish, like sharing of specimens. And uh, so it actually put the community of lab directors much more together, I would say. I had mentioned before this was really a team effort and because of that I would like to acknowledge a few people who put in tremendous effort to accomplish that project. Dr. Vakim Garcia led the entire project together with our coordinator Liz Doherty. Dr. Vrana, Justin Coplin and Angela Hudson developed the immunohistochemistry and in situ hybridization assays. Dr. Ben Kipp and his team from the Advanced Diagnostic Laboratory performed the uh, droplet PCR. Dr. N. Moyer and Ramanas Manjumda will perform the um, droplet PCR in the genomics laboratory as clinical test. John Charles was from the electron microscopy and Gerrit Jenkins from the um, statistics department. Satoko Yomaoko and Hideki Ebihara, they provided the transfected cell lines. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you again for being with us and for sharing your stories of how this uh, new process and uh, PCR will be developed and available for uh, COVID-19 testing. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning in to Answers from the Lab. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and don't forget to tune in every Thursday and every other Tuesday.